Welcome to our weekly Church on the Rock podcast. For more information, visit us at churchak.org, download our Church on the Rock AK app, or like us on our Facebook page. Thank you for listening, and we hope you enjoy our weekly podcast. We're going to try to get through it this morning. Um, one of uh, a professor long time ago, he said, uh, he told me, he said, you know, when you're in the Old Testament, he said, even those that have studied Hebrew still are not very uh, fluent at pronouncing it the way, uh, words the way they should be. So he said, here's the key, just be confident in however it comes out. So we're going to do that today because we're going we're gonna to get into some names that just sound crazy and hard to pronounce. And so we're just going to kind of mumble our way through them. And uh, the names themselves in this passage um, don't really have any, any bearing on the story. Otherwise, I would take the time to explain more on each of those names. Um, but before we get started, I would love for us to just take 30 seconds um, in silence as we, as we just invite God to, to speak to us today. We just, we just sang, Spirit, lead me. And, <clears throat> and you know, just contemplating that, the story that we're going to be reading through, and there's some crazy stuff in this story for sure. <clears throat> um, my words, your, your thoughts, my thoughts, our, our presence here, it really means nothing if the Spirit's not moving in and among us, right? So let's just take, uh, let's take 30 seconds and let's just submit, submit our hearts to the Lord um, and just ask Him to speak whatever it is to breathe the life of His Spirit into this story, into our time together, that our hearts would be drawn to Him, that we would leave here um, uh, with, with a, a gaze upon the goodness of God. Okay, let's go ahead and take a couple couple seconds. Father, we thank you for the privilege we have to gather together to be with one another. Lord, that we aren't left as orphans in a far off place, but Lord, you gather us together and and give us your spirit. Lord, I think of all the times that I would have loved to have walked next to Jesus and and ask him questions and and gain insight and understand his heart, Lord. and, And yet when he left, he gave us spirit. Lord, that we have, we have that same access to, to the guidance and the, the comfort and the wisdom, Lord. And so we just ask you, Father, as we dig into the stories, we dig into context and application and, and uh, uh, all else, Lord, that we would be met with your spirit. Lord, you, you have something to speak to each of us today because we are your sons and daughters. So, Lord, speak to us, God, we ask in your name. Amen. <clears throat> Todd Beamer um, got back from Italy with his wife, and uh, he was supposed to fly out to um, San Francisco, I believe it was, the next day. He opted to stay and spend the evening. Uh, he was going to fly out as soon as he got back that evening. He decided to, to stay and spend the evening with his family, um, and then he would fly out the next day. And uh, really, Todd was a... a he was an IT guy, um, really, uh, he's kind of a, a graduated with a business degree, but <clears throat> really uh, involved in their church. They were youth leaders, um, and they were just, a, they were an all-around uh, good family, and so, um, so they spend the evening together. Todd hops on the plane, flies out the next day, and all of a sudden, um, all of a sudden, there's a call on the radio over the intercom um, that, uh, that there's some, some chaos happening up in the sky. Todd was on flight 93. Todd was a, um, he was a, he was a desk guy. He was a, uh, uh, like I said, a youth leader in their church. He enjoyed um, um, sports. He was a really kind of a, lived a vanilla lifestyle. And yet, when the moment came down to it, Todd and a couple other guys on the flight saw what was going on and um, decided to act on it. 
Not that Todd was trained for it. Not that Todd knew what to do. But in the moment, he was presented with something. And he did what he knew was right. So they ended up rushing the cockpit, crashing the plane 20 miles or 20 minutes before it would have hit the White House. They hit the earth about, I think they were going like 500 and something miles an hour as they hit, as they hit ground. Obviously, everyone passed away. Todd was an unlikely candidate for a situation like that. You would think a U.S. Marshal or you would think an Air Marshal would be, you would think a military background, but this wasn't Todd. Todd was, a, Todd, was a, um, Todd was one of us. He was just an unlikely guy in a situation and presented with circumstances that, that you couldn't have even, that he couldn't have ever imagined being in. Today we're going to look at some unlikely heroes, some unlikely people. And we're going to be in Judges chapter 4. Now, at this point in history, Israel once again has characterized themselves by their cyclical past. Israel is, is falling into the same trap they can't seem to avoid. Like, like they leave Egypt, they come into the desert, and you think, yes, they're going to get it. God's blessing them. They see God's hand providing for them. They're finally going to get it. And then because they're grumbling, because they're wishing they were back in Egypt, then God says, hey, actually, you know what? You're going to spend 40 years out here. And then through rebellion and all that stuff, God says, actually, now your generation's not going to. I'm going to let the next generation go in. And then a few months ago when we were in Numbers, we saw how, how um, Israel's standing on the border. They can see the, they can see their promised land across the way and they're in the, in the land of the Moabites and, and all of a sudden they start intermingling with the women and doing things that ought not be done for, in, in righteousness of God's people. And so God, God ends up bringing death upon them and then they cry out to the Lord and he sends a helper and then they, they enter the land and, and he, says, he tells Joshua, hey Josh, when you get in there, you've got to kill everyone, man. You've got to make sure everyone's gone because these people are not good people. They don't have a good, uh, a good bone in their body. They are evil. They are immoral. They are, are, are trashing. And they hate you. They hate my people. I need them gone. So Joshua leads the people. Joshua is a man of integrity and, and good character. And, and they lead the people in there. And then all of a sudden, Joshua starts making treaties. And I can't blame them, to be honest. I mean, to go into a land and kill every man, woman, and child, it would wear on a, it would wear on a man. And he starts thinking like, well, maybe there's a different way. Maybe I can accomplish the same thing God wants to, but just do it a different way. So he starts making treaties. And then, and then over the course of time, Israel disperses throughout the land and the Canaanites are still building up their forces, and now we're in Judges where they've been oppressing the Israelites in the Israelites' own homeland, in their promised land because of Joshua's unfinished business. They're now dealing with it, and that's where we pick up right here. The, the cycle that Israel seems to fall into is that God promises blessing and provides opportunity for that blessing, and as a thanks, Israel begins doing what's evil in the sight of the Lord. So God does exactly what he promises and subjects them back into slavery, back into oppression. Then the people cry out to God, and he sends a deliverer, and then, he, and then, and then through repentance, they re-enter the blessing of rest, the blessing of, of God's provision. George Santana said in 1905, he says, those who fail to learn from history are what? Condemned to repeat it, destined to repeat it. Something we'd be wise to look at ourselves not just with, with Israel, but think about how often we repeat the same things, expecting that maybe this time it'll be different. We, we have, we have uh, whether you're married or parenting or jobs or life, we have responses to people thinking, oh, this time it will really get the point across. I know with, with um, having uh, little kids, young kids, um, that they can be animated at times. And when they get animated, there are times that I think getting animated back is going to produce the results of peace that I think it will. And does it really ever? No. What about when God speaks to us about something 
convicts us or maybe moves us and, and we begin making changes. And then we think, ah, oh, okay, thanks God. I'll go back to my way now. This will be, this will be, I, I got this now. Thinking that we can actually do anything in life apart from him. Israel's not unique in this area. And what's beautiful about this is that their cycle is the same thing, same as our cycle, is that we have promises. We choose our independence and we choose to do things in our own ways. God lets us bring on oppression, bring on destruction in our lives. Then we cry out to God and every time he's merciful and he comes back with opportunity. It's the cycle. Well, in Judges 4 here, we are, we are looking at the result of what happened because Joshua didn't finish the business of, of what God told him to do. Israel's now been under oppression for quite some time, 20 years. And they're in a place where they don't really have Joshua anymore. They don't have Moses. They don't have a single leader, and, but they don't have a kings yet. They don't have a king. So they're, they're kind of dispersed out among Canaan and some, some on the other side of the river. And, and they, they begin to develop their, their own identity as, as occupiers of Canaan. The problem is um, they still need people to rule over them. So judges are put in place. And today we're going to be looking at Three unlikely people that God uses by uncommon means to finish unfinished business. We're going to look at three characters. God often uses unlikely people in uncommon means to accomplish unfinished business. So let's go ahead and read chapter 4 of Judges. Um, there's... A, a violent account in here. Um, and if you are super sensitive and you have a child with you that you don't want to hear, um, I would, well, I'll leave that up to you. I'm just letting you know at the end of the chapter, there's, there's a pretty violent account. So, but it's in the Bible, so you can't be mad at me. Okay. And the people of Israel, again, did what was evil in the sight of the Lord after Ehud died. And the Lord sold them into the hand of Jabin, king of Canaan, who reigned in Hazor. The commander of his army was Sisera, who lived in Herosheth Hajoim. That is how you pronounce it. I don't know if I can do that again. Then the people of Israel cried out to the Lord for help, for he had 900 chariots of iron as he oppressed the people of Israel cruelly for 20 years. Now Deborah, a prophetess, the wife of Lapidoth, that was judging Israel at the time. She used to sit under the palm of Deborah between Ramah and Bethel, that's more so down south Israel, in the hill country of um, Ephraim. And the people of Israel came up to her for judgment. She sent and summoned Barak, the son of Abinanam from Kadesh Naphtali, and said to him, Has not the Lord, the God of Israel, commanded you? Go, gather your men at Mount Tabor, taking 10,000 from the people of Naphtali and the people of Zebulun. And I will draw out Sisera, the general of Jabin's army, to meet you by the river Kishon with his chariots and his troops. And I will give, you, give him into your hands. Um, this is an important part to remember that, he is, that they are drawing out Jabin's army. Jabin is the king of the Canaanites. His general is Sisera. Okay? And he's saying that, that they are going to draw out his troops and his chariots down by the, uh, the riverbank, okay? We'll, we'll see why that's important a little bit. Barak said to her, if you go with me, I will go. But if you do not go with me, I will not go. And she said, oh, I will surely go with you. Nevertheless, the road on which you are going will not lead to your glory, for the Lord will sell Sisera into the hand of a woman. Then Deborah rose and went with Barak to Kadesh, and Barak called out, Zebulon and Naphtali to Kadesh, and 10,000 men went up at his heels, and Deborah went up with him. Now Heber, the Kenite, had separated from the Kenites, and the descendants of uh, Habab and the, uh, the father-in-law of Moses, and had, uh, let's see, pitched his tent as far away as the, zo the, as the oak of Zananum, which is near Kadesh. When Sisera was told that Barak, the son of Ab uh, Abinanum, 
had gone up to Mount Tabor, Sisera called out all his chariots, 900 chariots of iron, and all the men who were up, who were with him from Herosheth Hajim to go to the river Kishon. And Deborah said to Barak, up, for this is the day in which the Lord has given Sisera into your hand. Does not the Lord go out before you? So Barak went down from Mount Tabor with 10,000 men following him. And the Lord routed Sisera and all his chariots and all his army before Barak by the edge of the sword. And Sisera got down from his chariot and fled away on foot, like a good general's going to do while his guys are dying. Anyway, and Barak pursued the chariots and the army to Herosheth Hajim, Hajioim, and all the army of Sisera fell by the edge of the sword. Not a man was left, but Sisera fled away on foot to the tent of Jael the wife of Heber, the Kenite. For there was peace between Jabin, the king of Hezor, and the house of Heber, the Kenite. So he knew this person, Jael. And Jael came out to meet Sisera and said to him, turn aside, my Lord, turn aside to me. Don't be afraid. So he turned aside to her into the tent and covered him with a rug. And he said to her, please give me a little water to drink for I'm thirsty. So she opened up a skin of milk and gave him a drink and covered him. And he said to her, stand at the opening of the tent, and if any man comes and asks you, is anyone here? Say no. But Jael, the wife of Heber, took a tent peg and took a hammer in her hand. Then she went softly to him, drove the peg into his temple until it went into the ground while he was lying fast asleep from weariness. And I love this sentence right here. So he died. So he died. Not a big deal. And behold, as Barak was pursuing Sisera, Jael went out to meet him and said to him, Come and I will show you the man whom you are seeking. So he went into her tent, and there lay Sisera dead with the tent peg in his temple. So on that day God subdued Jabin, the king of Canaan, before the people of Israel, and, hand, and the hand of the people of Israel pressed harder and harder against Jabin, the king of Canaan, until they destroyed Jabin, king of Canaan. Whew, we got through it. So what's happening here is Ehud dies, and Ehud was, was the judge that, that delivered um, them from the Moabites. So he dies, and then people were like, hey, dad's gone. We can do whatever we want. Sweet. So they started doing evil again, and then, and then they come into um, oppression from Jabin, the king of Canaan. And as we know, he had a very advanced military unit. Um, 900 chariots was massive a massive um, uh, advantage, uh, tactical advantage for sure. So for 20 years, Jabin's oppressing the Israelites in their own land, in the promised land that God gave them. Jabin is like, he who has the gold makes the rules. And so he did. In their own land, the land that God gave them, because Joshua failed to finish the business God asked him to do, the people are suffering. And it took them 20 years to cry out to God. 20 years before they finally realize they need help from God. So then we're introduced to Deborah, which is kind of the first of the unlikely heroes that we'll see. And she is a, a, one of only nine prophetesses mentioned in the Bible, four in the Old Testament, five in the New Testament. She was a judge. She was a, a woman of honor, woman of character. Uh, she listened to God. She was obedient to speaking truth. She was uh, faithful and, and she was bold in the face of, of um, intense circumstances. So she was, she, was, she was someone that you would expect to have the position that she held. But then she goes and summons Barak, and he's our second unlikely hero in, the, in this character of the story. And, and what I find interesting is here, Deborah is reminding Barak. Now, Barak is a military leader. Here's the judge being like, Brock, didn't God tell you to, you know, take 10,000 guys and go fight? Oh, 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 yeah, I kind of forgot about that. Uh, well, here's the deal. I'm not going unless you go. And if you don't go, I'm not going to go. God had told him. She didn't command him. It wasn't his idea. God told him, I'll give you victory. Take 10,000 men and go. The problem is he had his 10,000 men looking at the 900 chariots. And here's the reality of that. It makes sense for him to not go fight. If he didn't have a God who was in control. 
See, God always asks us to do things that majority of the time doesn't make sense. We look at our circumstances and say, he just doesn't get it. I mean, we'll never verbally say that, but that's really what happens is he just doesn't understand what I'm going through. He's, he's, he doesn't see these 900 chariots. So I'm just gonna kind of step back. And then Deborah, to the military leaders, like, so you remember that one thing? You need to go do that. <laughs> I'm not doing it unless you go, mommy. I need help. So she's like, well, I'll go, but you're gonna lose glory. And it's gonna be delivered into the hand of a woman. Barak had an opportunity, if he would have been obedient to God, to gain reputation, gain influence, gain, and who knows what God would have done with his, with his leadership if he had been obedient to that. But nonetheless, before we make too much fun of him, um, we need to remember who he's named with. Hebrews chapter 11, verse 32 and 34. Through 34. And what more shall I say? For time would fail me to tell of Gideon, Barak, Samson, Japheth, of David and Samuel, and the prophets, who through faith conquered kingdoms, enforced justice, obtained promises, stopped the mouths of lions, quenched the power of fire, escaped the edge of the swords, were made strong out of weakness, became mighty in war, put foreign armies to flight. There's really no way of knowing Barak's mindset in it because we're not given it in the text. But what I can say, it's reasonable that he would be afraid. If we don't think that's reasonable, what has God asked of us that we have been fearful of that is far less probable of defeat than 900 chariots against men on feet? See, we have that same approach to God sometimes. We look at the circumstances and we say, there's just no way. There's just no way. And we're right. Except the problem that we forget, just like Barak, is that we have a God who makes things happen, who can move mountains, who can move nations, who has control over everything. And it's not like he was sending Barak to go do this so that they would come under more oppression. He's like, Barak, I'm giving you victory, man. You just got to trust me. Yeah, it doesn't make sense that you, it doesn't make sense for Gideon. It doesn't make sense for Samson. But you know what? We trust it doesn't make sense that I would, I would give you into the hands of the Moabites and then, and then have you wipe them out. And we look at Israel's history, we look at our own history and say, man, has God not done the miraculous despite our perspectives? So Barak takes his 10,000 men and Deborah accompanies him and they head into battle. Verses 14 through 16 is when uh, Deborah said to Barak, up for the days which the Lord has given you into your hand, all these things. Um, and even though it doesn't make military sense at all, um, Judges 5, actually, I don't encourage you to go read that song. Um, it actually gives us insight into what happened and how he was able to defeat the army with the chariot. See, he wasn't having the guys on foot fight the chariots. You know what happened? Is God said, hey, go up to the top of the mountain with 10,000 troops and then come back down. Um, that's weird. God, um, no, I, I mean, if we go up, like, and we come back down, their chariots are there. Like that, that's where the, if the chariots are at the base of the mountain, that's where they're going to be effective. If we stay up here, let them pursue us up here. They can't use their chariots. And God's like, just, just go. So, so they go to the top of the mountain while they're up there. Guess what God does? Ah, he sends a bunch of rain. And just like God does to us in Alaska in hunting season is he sends a bunch of rain so that we produce mud. And those mud, that gets our side-by-sides and four-wheelers stuck. And it gives the moose a, a foot up to run away or we're packing that sucker out on our backs. Either way, he's given Israel a, a massive benef a benefit to the war and he's given these moose that we fight every year, year after year up here, advantage. But the reality is, is when Barak took his army up there, God sent the rain and buried the chariots. So then they came back down and wiped them out. God didn't tell Barak that's what he was going to do. God often doesn't tell us what he's going to do. But here's, the, here's what happens, I think, most of the time. And I, th I would imagine this is a little bit of what Barak was, was doing, is we put God on trial. We don't realize it, maybe, not consciously, but we put him on trial. We say, 
Well, I mean, let's, let's give a raise of hands. Who has seen God actively work in miraculous ways in their life? Who believes God, even if you haven't seen it, who believes God actually works miraculously in, in, in our current life, in, in our world? So we've seen these things. We, we believe our faith is based on God doing miraculous things. And then we get to one circumstance where we're like, okay, I don't know if you're as good as you were before. So you're asking me to do this? I don't know if I can, Lord. I just, I don't know. And what we do, like Barack, is we'll stand around and be like, Lord, Lord, show me your will. Give me your will, Lord. Let, let, me, let me understand what, you're, what you want of me, Lord. I, I want to be your servant. Oh, oh, no, no, not that thing. I don't want to take the guys up here because those chariots, no. So Barack's like, hmm, what can I do to pass time? And then, judge, and then Deborah calls him out. Hey, you know, you remember that thing, right? Well, isn't that what we do too, though? I mean, we, we, we often will know that God is speaking to us about things. He's, he's convicting us. He's, he's encouraging us. He's emboldening us. He's asking us to step out in faith and do these different things. And we're like, God, just let me know your will. Anything but that, though, please? Let me know your will. Even though we've seen him do incredibly miraculous things in our lives, we still go back to putting God on trial. Like, I just don't know if he's going to be faithful still. So we can't dog on Barak too much. So we move on. He, he kills him, kills all the guys. And then Sisera uh, 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 runs away, finds his tent. And all we know about um, Jael is that she was a wife and knew her way around a tent peg. Like that, I mean, we don't know that she had any military background. We know that she was related to Moses. So there was probably an ele a deep element of faith coming in there. Um, I don't know if there was, if there was like a, a, if Deborah had approached her and said, hey, you got connections with this guy, come bring him in. We don't know that. But what we do know is that when she op saw opportunity to do what she knew was right, she did it. I mean, that, that's a gruesome, it's, it's not one we teach in children's church. But just the same as David cutting the head off of Goliath and holding it up, it's not a laughing matter when it comes to the obedience of God. David was impassioned with zeal for the Lord. And this man was mocking his God. These Canaanites were, were mocking Israel's God. They were oppressing God's people. And so something had to be done about it. And this woman invites this guy in. And I like how he asks for water. And she gives him a nice warm glass of milk. Oh, go ahead. Just eat the cookie and the milk and go to sleep. We got you covered. Don't worry. You'll be just fine. Bam! I mean, I just like, I would like to know this lady. I wouldn't want to be married to her. But I would like to meet her in some capacity at a distance or something like that, right? Like, it's pretty, it's pretty bold for a wife to do something like that. It's just like, my goodness. And remember earlier when, when Deborah said, Barak, the, the, the honor and glory will be given into the hand of a woman. She wasn't talking about herself. She was talking about Jael. So God uses a female prophetess and judge, a reluctant military leader, and a woman who, well, was zealous for tent pegs and had them laid around. It was great. And, and these were all unlikely candidates. Now, isn't that who God uses, though? I mean, Joshua left a job unfinished. Joshua was a likely candidate. Joshua was was zealous. He, he overcame fear. He had military experience. Like He was the likely candidate. God gave him a chance and he failed in that. And then God uses an unlikely candidate, unlikely person to accomplish what Joshua should have. See, God doesn't need us. He certainly doesn't need us. The thing is though, he chooses us. Regardless of gender, race, physical abilities, our talents, finances, any other factor we might use to, to pick something out, someone out to do a job. It's the fact that God can use whoever he wants, whenever he wants, however he wants. Remember David? 
when, when, they were, when Israel was looking for a king and they go to David's family and he's looking at all of his brothers and, the, and Samuel's like, oh, none of these are the guy. Do you have anyone else? He's like, I got my boy David. I mean, he's just a shepherd out there. I mean, you can go talk to him, I guess. He plays a harp and kills lions with his hands. And, you know, I don't, I don't know, maybe. And look what David became. David was an unlikely candidate for what God had him to do. And all these people are, are not without flaws. God doesn't use perfect people. He uses flawed people, unlike, unlikely candidates, to fulfill his purposes. So how do we live in such a way that we know when God is asking something? Well, I think the first is we have to walk in humility. I, I think where, where oftentimes we get it wrong is we want to be the likely candidates so we put on this facade like, well, I got all my crap together and I can do this and I can do that and everything's great. And really what we're doing is, is trying to be the likely candidate. And God's like, I, that's prideful. So why don't we humble ourselves and say, yeah, God, I don't know why, I don't know why you'd want me in your kingdom. I, I mean, I, I, you want to talk about crazy relationship. How many times have we lied to God? How many times have we ran away saying, hey, God, we're going to do this. I'll never do this again. And boom, I'm going to do it again. I mean, you want to talk about like distrusting in a relationship. My goodness. How, how many times do we say, thanks for the blessing. I'm on my own now. I'll come back to you when, 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 if I get bored or if I need help. Like we, we are all unlikely candidates. We're all deeply flawed. The line of Jesus was deeply flawed. All unlikely candidates. And so in order to be used by God, it requires a humility. It requires us to delight ourselves in the Lord. And the second is that we, we can't lose heart. 2 Corinthians 4, 16 through 18 says, So we do not lose heart, though our outer self is wasting away, our inner self is being renewed day by day. For this light momentary affliction is preparing for us an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison. As we look not to the things that are seen, 900 chariots, circumstances we can't foresee God, how God's going to pull through. We don't look to the things that are seen, but to the things that are unseen. For the things that are unseen, or the things that are seen are transient, but the things that are unseen are eternal. We have to look past what we visually see. We have to look past our own ability to solve problems. Barak could not look past what God had done. He saw correctly that he could not do that with 10,000 men against, against Jabin's army and 900 chariots. He saw correctly. The thing he was forgetting is that his God is not human. That God was going to do miraculous things as he stepped out in obedience. And he'll do the same thing for us. And so we, third is, is we need to listen to God. God's primary method of communicating is through his word, through prayer, through the Holy Spirit working through his church. Brothers and sisters coming alongside each other and encouraging and, and, and convicting and, and maybe even uh, uh, correcting, but lifting up and strengthening, all that stuff. Like when God is speaking to us, let us not harden our hearts as in the days of Noah. But let us soften that heart saying, Lord, I do need help. I do need correction. Because I, when we listen to God and God speaks to us, it draws us into this place of crying out for God. In our inability, there's a, there's a beauty in celebrating our own funerals. That when we die to ourselves, we find our life in Christ. When we, when we let go of our independence, we become cemented and surrendered to the Lord. And that's, a celebration, that's worth celebrating. And once God speaks to us, we need to do what he says. It's not for our, our harm that he speaks to us about these things. When he asks us to stay away from things, when he asks us to do things or not do things or, or change, uh, change our hearts or whatever, it's not for our oppression or imprisonment. It's for our freedom that Christ has set us free. Just like Barak. What was Barack thinking? Like, well, if I don't do anything, maybe there'll magically be an instance where we're not oppressed anymore. No, God was like, Barack, I'm giving you this one, buddy. Like, come on, I'm giving you this. And it made it 
almost impossible because Barak was not looking beyond the circumstances. So we need to do what he says. James 1, 22 through 25, this is the brother of Jesus. He says, but be doers of the word and not hearers only, deceiving yourselves. And it's easy to come in. It's easy to read our Bibles. It's easy to, to know what we ought to do and then just not go do it. And he says, not hearers only, deceiving yourselves. For if anyone is a hearer of the word and not a doer, he's like a man who looks intently at his natural face in a mirror. For he looks at himself and goes away and at once forgets what he was like. But the one who looks into the perfect law, the law of liberty and perseveres, being no hearer who forgets, but a doer who acts, he will be blessed in his doing. He will be blessed in his doing even when we don't see how the blessing can come. See, the text this morning is really clear that everything occurred in Judges 4 is 100% God's doing. It's not the three unlikely people. God used the three unlikely people to carry out what God was already doing. Let us not forget that. They were all three used by God in that process, but the result were completely in God's hands, not theirs. They couldn't make the rain come. She, she couldn't have guaranteed that, that, that uh, 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 Cicero would fall asleep. But God made it happen and his will was carried out. He uses unlikely people in uncommon means to accomplish unfinished business. And what greater example than Jesus? I've often thought like, like if, if God would have been like, Josh, you can lay out the story of salvation for people. What do you want to do? Would not have looked like it did. I would have brought the Jesus from Revelation you know, coming, tattoo on his thigh, king of kings, fire in his eyes, sword from his mouth. That's how I would have brought him into the world. Be like, hey, let's just cut all this time out. Let's just go straight to the end. I would have made people bow down. I would have told Jesus, like, hey, when you're up on that cross, call down. Like, call down. Let's, let's do this. Let's get these people riled up. But that's not the way God does. In fact, God uses uncommon people like Jesus, who's from a little town, who's born poor, a no-name who didn't have announcements at his coming, at, at, at his birth, who, who attracted some, well, kind of loser, loser Jewish guys. They, they weren't intelligent enough to go into synagogue training. So if you weren't, in, at, at, by 12, they were kind of determining what path you were going to do. And these guys obviously were fishermen. Let's just put it that way. And God, and, and Jesus come down and said, hey, you guys, want to, you guys want to change the world? Uh, we just want to catch fish, man. Come, follow me. I'll make you fishers of men. Tax collector. Lowly women that, that, that Jesus saw and had compassion for. These are the people, the unlikely people. When Jesus says to Peter, upon the truth that you have learned, fisherman, guy that's not good enough for the religious system of my day, it's upon the truth that you know that I will build my church. We sit here today on that truth and that same statement that he told Peter. On the truth of me, I will build my church to a bunch of unlikely people just like us. Just like us. Ephesians 2.10 says, For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. So let me ask you this. When you woke up this morning, my guess is that you weren't thinking about how God actually longs to be present with you individually today, right? Like we knew we were coming to church and collective, but did you wake up thinking like God of all creation, God, Yahweh, Jehovah, you long to be with me. You want, you want, you want real presence with me this morning. To be honest, I think it's pretty common for us to not even really believe that. Like we know God wants us gathered together. We know he wants us in his word. We know he wants us loving him. But I don't think that we're convinced oftentimes of his love for us, his desire to be with us. And he has gone through over and over and over throughout Israel's history, throughout our history. He has made that possible to be with us. When he called Abram out after, after the Tower of Babel and all the scattered nations, all that, and he looks at Abram, before he was Abraham, and he says, Abram, you be my people and I will be your God. And that has been God's mission for the rest, for the, for the rest of history. 
is he has looked and said, hey, you guys screwed up, Israel, and you're dealing with the consequences. Cry out to me, and I will be merciful with you, and I will give you opportunity for restoration. And he does over and over and over again. You want to talk about the 70 times 7 forgiveness uh, philosophy that he told Peter? I mean, think about that from God's perspective. And us here, we sit in that same grace where he's like, Josh, over and over and over again, I'm going to continue and I'm not angry at you. I'm not, I'm not rejecting you. I want better life for you. So obey what I'm asking you to do. Let me be with you and you with me. So he prepares beforehand the good works for us to accomplish. We are all unlikely and he, he has already prepared for us good works that we should accomplish. And he designs each one of us as his specific workmanship, which means that, uh, well, that Zach and I are going to have very different giftings in life. And I should not wish that I was Zach, although I wish that I could fly. But that's, that's beside the point. I think it's super cool. Zach and I are very different. And God has designed us from before the beginning of time that he said, hey, Zach, I have good works for you. Josh, I have good works for you. You are my masterpiece, my workmanship, and I've created you for those works. And here's the mind bender. This is, this is crazy. Philippians 2.13. For it is God who works in you both to will and to work for his good pleasure. It is God who is working in Zach to carry out the good works that he set before Zach to do. And it's him that's working in him to accomplish that for God's pleasure. Same with me, same with you, same with you, same with you, same with every one of us on an individual basis. It does not matter how unlikely we are. If you've come in here this morning thinking, I got too much baggage. I have too, much, too many issues. Boy, let's sit down and talk. I can run you through biblical characters. I can run you through people sitting in this room that have plenty of baggage. It all make us unlikely heroes, unlikely people to do the work of our great and mighty God. Yet God's like, you are the ones I want to use. I'm just asking for you to be obedient. I'm asking you to understand my character and trust me when I'm asking you to do things. It's incredible. So where's the pressure? Where's our angst come from in life? Well, the angst is that we look like Barack and say, oh God, you're asking me to do something that I, I don't know. I don't know if I can do it. I'm going to get distracted with life. And God's actually asking us to do some pretty crazy things. It's when our eyes get taken off of God's possibility and put onto our probability. That's the problem. It's not that we should get this, this self-confidence, yeah, I can do anything. All things through Christ who gives me strength. I can just go do anything. No, you could suffer. That's what Paul was actually talking about. So you could suffer if Christ gives you strength to suffer. But rather, it's a submission and surrenderness to his ability in, despite our, our inability. Romans 8, 14 and 15 says, For all who are led by the Spirit of God are sons of God. For you did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you have received the spirit of adoption as sons by whom we cry, Abba, Father. Imagine if Barak, imagine if Joshua, imagine if you or I actually understood the depths of crying out, Abba, Father. And our Father's perfect. Our Father only gives what's good for us, even if it's discipline. Our Father has plans that we know nothing about. Our Father does more than we ask or imagine. And he does it with the utmost mercy, the utmost grace, and the utmost desire to be with you and I. So are you led by his spirit? Have you received that adoption as a child of God? Because all this is pointless. If we either, one, serve a God who's not good, or that we are not his child, that we choose to not submit ourselves to him. If we are his child and our faith is in Christ and Christ finished the business he was sent to do by uncommon means, in unlikely circumstances, in an unlikely person, if that work is finished, then maybe you're here this morning not finishing the business God's asking you to do. 
Maybe that's actually to surrender your life to him. Maybe if you've surrendered your life, maybe it's that he's, now that you've surrendered your life, you know things he's starting to ask you to do and it's real uncomfortable and it's real difficult. I, I, welcome, to the, welcome to Christian life, folks. Seriously, it is, I, I, for anyone who, who would say you don't need to count the cost of following Jesus, there is a cost, but the benefit far outweighs the cost of this empty world, the empty promises. And so we are adopted as sons. The means by which Jesus came so unlikely and uncommon. And he had to trust his father. Remember in the garden when Jesus is, is sweating blood because the angst was, was so, his capillaries actually were bleeding out through his skin. And he's like, Father, if there's any other way, I know what's coming. Jesus, the Jews were very familiar, and Romans were very familiar with crucifixion. Jesus knew what was coming. And he's in the garden, could have ran off in the middle of the night, could have called angels down, had all, all ability to, to not endure that. And he says, God, Dad, if there's any other way, please take this cup from me, take the suffering from me. But my trust is in you, so not as I will, as you will, Lord. And what is it today? I hope that God's not having you go be crucified today. So anything less than that, we, I think we can do. Like, what is it today that God's been asking you that you're just sitting there saying, Lord, if there's any other way, take this from me. And then we just stop there. And like Barack, we go get distracted. Because we're too unlikely type of people for God to use in, in incredible ways. We don't believe that God's good for us all the time. That God's not against us. That, that we believe that our own actions can actually separate us from the love of Christ. But what does Paul say in Romans? That nothing shall separate us from the love of Christ. Not death, not life, not angels, demons. Nothing can separate us from the love of the Father that looked down on his people in Canaan and said, I am just waiting for you to cry out for me and I will make it happen and you will have your rest. But you need to come to me. So this morning, will you say yes? I mean... Anyone in here grow up with kind of an adrenaline junkie? Yeah, it, it's, it's fun. It's fun to be that way. And I, and I used to think that there's a, a risk in following the Lord. You hear these phrases like, just risk it all for the Lord. I will tell you what, the closer you walk with the Lord, the more risky it is not to. We live in the illusion like it's risky to follow the Lord. And it would be risky if God wasn't good. It would be risky if God wasn't for us. But it's actually more risky to, to surrender ourselves to the way of the world than it is to surrender ourselves before the face of Jesus. And so what is it that God's asking you to do? What, what is it that, that, that as, as God has whispered stuff to you, as God has spoke stuff to you, that, that you have said, the circumstances, there's just no way. There's just no way, Lord. Give me something else. Can you give me something else? It's like we just spin that um, what it, slot machines or the, those wheels at the, at the fair. <laughs> Sacrifice. Oh, nope, another one. And that's really what we do. And God's like, hey, I, I have good for you. Maybe he's been asking you to make a big decision about what you've been putting off. Maybe he's asking you to actually step back in some areas to make more time for your family. Maybe he's asking you to, to, to go a different direction in life. And it's just too scary to do that. Maybe he's asking you to get rid of some things to make more time for him so that he could fill you with his love, fill you with life, fill you with peace. I think that's why he implores us in John 15, say, just abide with me, be with me, be with me, abide with me. Apart from me, you can do nothing anyway. Will you guys stand with us, <clears throat> I, would, I would encourage you, if you, haven't, if you haven't put your faith in a good God who, who sent his son to, to pay for the, 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 the cost that it was to bring you into a relationship with God, if you haven't done that, I would, I would, I would really 
encourage you that I think that's some business that God has brought you here to do today. And if your faith has been in him, and maybe you're just struggling, as every Christian, if we're all honest, we are always struggling with something. And that's, that's because in, in our weakness, he's made strong. So celebrate our weakness. Bring that to the Lord and just go, God, I, I am... I'm hurting, Lord. I, I, I mean, help my unbelief, God. You know how many times I pray that, God? Help my unbelief. Faith is not lacking courage. Faith is just something you realize you're like, all right, well, I'm afraid, but I'm going to do it anyway because my God's good. And nothing in the world right now in front of me is saying I should do this except God. And God must have a plan that goes beyond what I can see. So we rely on the things that are unseen, not seen. So take time as we as we close with that. Can we do um, uh, Spirit Lead Me? I think that'd be a great. If you think about what it would have been like to walk next to Jesus, and I think about this all the time, and I can't wait for the day that I get to walk walk with Jesus. And my my goal in life is that I would know Jesus in a way now that when I meet him face to face, I'm not surprised at him. I just want to high five and go because I want to know him that well now. I don't want to get up there and be like, Jesus, you were, you would have done this? If I had been obedient, you would have, you would have came through? If I had abstained from this, God, you would have blessed me? Like, I just want to rip all that apart and be like, Jesus, I want you to be my boy. Like, I want to be your friend, man. I want to know you as a friend and, and I want to walk next to you. <clears throat> and I think about what it would have been like, the blessing of being one of the disciples walking with Jesus in the flesh. And yet he said, hey, it's actually for your good that I go away because when I go away, I'm gonna ask my father to send another helper. That another helper, that word, that counselor word is another of the same. That, that the Greek word is literally means it's another of the same. So he's like, guys, you're not gonna be without me. All the stuff you love about me is wrapped up in the spirit. And I'm giving him to you to be with you everywhere for all time. So, Walk with me. Walk with him. Right now, friends, I am convinced this morning, more than I have been in a long time, that God has already been speaking to each one of us about things. Now's the time to act on it. Don't be like Barack and just wait around hoping that it just magically disappears. Because God has blessing in what he's asking of you today. So as we worship, let us just, let us just soak in the love of God. Let us just soak in the reality that his spirit is among us and he's good. And whatever he's asking you is good. Thank you for listening. For more of our podcasts and to discover how you can connect, visit us at churchak.org or download our Church on the Rock AK app from either iTunes or Google Play.